are in the series, this is going to be the last message of I'm not okay, but Jesus is. There's something really great about that phrase. I'm not okay, but Jesus is. Today I'm going to talk specifically about mental illness. And a couple weeks ago, we're picking up where we were a couple weeks ago, where we had uh, our kind of the mental illness professionals on stage uh, with us, kind of sharing with our church uh, just practical advice of what it is to uh, be under medical supervision, to receive counsel and to be open to counsel because there's so much of this um, that the church just hasn't done well, maybe historically. I think everybody's doing better, but we haven't done well historically around this topic. And there's a reason. Is it because it really is complicated. Today, I don't, even, I don't have a chance to talk about all of it. I'm going to talk about a one very narrow part of it, um, but I do want to give us a broad sense of what we are talking about so that we can kind of be on the same uh, page. I wanna, uh, I'm going to view a lot of stuff from the National Institute of Mental Health. This is their definition of mental illness. Mental illness refers to a wide range of mental health conditions, disorders that affect your mood, thinking, and behavior. Many people have mental health concerns from time to time, but they become a mental illness when ongoing signs and symptoms cause frequent stress and they affect your ability to function. That's really kind of what we're talking about in terms of mental illness. Let me give you some statistics just to share with you what's going on in terms of our country. From the NIMH, it says this, approximately one in five adults in the U.S., 43.8 million people or at least 18.5% experience mental illness in a given year. Okay, it's a huge number of people that this affects. Um, approximately one in nine adults have suffered from depression. This year, this, this was done in 2018, by the way, one in five at one time received medication for it, meaning you could just be depressed or, uh, and it'd be documented from a counseling perspective, or it could be something that you're actually receiving medication for. Among the 20.2 uh, 20. million adults in the U.S. who have experienced a substance abuse use disorder, mean that, that they've experienced problems, 50% of those, which is half of that, had uh, basically documented co-occurring mental illnesses, meaning that we see a large connection of substance abuse um, in people uh, that do suffer, do suffer with depression and anxiety and bipolar and all sorts of other mental uh, illnesses. Keep going. More than 90% of those who die by suicide had a documented mental health condition, okay? This is, this is a big deal when it comes to our country, when it comes to us. And it may not be something that you specifically are dealing with, but here's what I can promise you. I can promise you <laughs> that you are one relationship, okay? One relationship away of how this affects someone in your family. Could be a family member, could be a friend, could be a coworker, could be an extended relative. You are one relationship away from people who struggle and suffer from a mental illness or a mental health condition, and I believe it's part of the church's responsibility that we we want to talk about bringing absolute hope to the world through Jesus Christ. we got to be able to engage this. So why don't we do a better job? Why have we struggled to do a good job in terms of engaging this conversation? Very quickly, it's because it's complex, and here's the most common disorders, anxiety, ADHD, and adults depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder. 40 million Americans suffer from anxiety. Uh, ADHD is in 8 million adults. We usually think about with children, right? Depression, I already gave you those stats. Uh, Post-traumatic stress disorder is another 8 million. It's huge. The reason we we struggle is because it's complex, and I want to share this with you. Sometimes, and this is just kind of the scale and scope that I want to share with you, sometimes it's circumstantial or experiential. 
Meaning that sometimes, let's just take anxiety. Let's use that as the example, okay? Anxiety. Sometimes it's circumstantial. The anxiety, the worry, the fear. Hey, welcome to, to, to today, right? Like in terms of the people fearing this coronavirus, to fearing the, the economic downturn. They're fearing all of these things. It's circumstantial that causes sometimes the anxiety. Sometimes it's experiential, meaning it's something in your past. It's something from your childhood. It's something in an experience in your life um, that you've, that's sort of taken root in you. It also could be personality or predisposition, meaning that, you know, we do the Enneagram around here and we talk about some of the Enneagram numbers that kind of just lean more towards that worrying nature or that anxious uh, heart, right? There's some of those that your, your personality sort of brings that out. Some of you, are, it's predisposition, which basically means that that's all you know. That was all you were exposed to. My grandmother was a worrier and my mama was a worrier and I worry. You know, that's what I do. That's my job, right? Sometimes could be physical and chemical imbalances. It could be things you eat and don't eat. It could be your lifestyle. It could be, you know, whether you're exercising or not. It could be a lack of vitamin D. It could be an organ that's not functioning properly, which takes us into sort of that imbalance. It could be the brain actually not communicating the way it should communicate. It could be any of those things. And here's the problem. The reason that it's so complex and we don't do a good job talking about it is because we don't know which one of these things it is. So you can't say, well, you know, I, have a, I struggle with anxiety and it would be foolish for me to go and say, well, the problem is this and the problem is this or the problem is this, when it could be any one of those things or it could be all of those things in combination, which is why we spent last time talking with our two professionals to help you understand that it, there's just a need there. It's also very dangerous for you to self-diagnose because you don't know which one of those things it is, right? It's also, again... We just don't need to use that as an excuse just because it's complex that we don't want to engage and have a conversation about it. Now, I'm going to give you a statement. This is a statement that I believe um, the Word of God teaches. Again, I'm going to talk about something very, very specific today, but in, in general, I just want you to hear me say this from what I believe the Word of God teaches. I believe God provides a way to manage, redeem, and heal our greatest afflictions. I believe God's going to provide a way to manage, redeem, and heal our greatest afflictions. If you go to a passage, one of my favorite passages in the church in Corinth that Paul writes, he says, no temptation. I don't want you to lose, lose it on the word temptation. That's just part of the Greek word. But there's also tests and trials and other things that kind of have to do with that same word. There's nothing like that that has overtaken you except what's common to man. And God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested, go through those trials, those hardships, beyond what you can bear. Why? Because when you are tested, he will also, you can say it at home out loud, provide a way out so that you can endure it. He'll provide a way. I believe God will always provide a way. Now, you say, well, Matt, you know, you're saying manage, and I understand that to a degree because, you know, I can manage my mental illness. Or you're saying redeem. What does that mean? Well, it's talking about God having the glory through that, that God's going to use that in some way uh, to show off uh, his glory and to show his work and faith and grace in your life. But sometimes when I say the word heal, people are like, well, there's certain things that can't be healed. You know, bipolar can't be healed. Well, not yet. Autism can't be healed. Well, not yet. I mean, how many things have we said, you know, that couldn't be healed and all of a sudden, you know, through God's provision, through medical science, we actually found a way to heal, right? But I also believe that God is, our, is a God who supernaturally, he's the God of science, who supernaturally can, super, can, uh, can uh, supersede what actually happens scientifically and can supernaturally do a work of healing in us. But I also believe the Bible is written from a, 
eternal perspective, primarily meaning that, oh, I believe we're all going to experience healing someday. may not be the way you think it's going to be. may not be right now. But there is, no, there is no autism, you know, mansion in heaven, right? There's no home for the autistic in heaven. There's no slums, you know, where all the depressed people go hang out in heaven, okay? We all get to experience healing at some point. That's what God has promised us. But I really do believe, again, that God will always provide a way to manage, to redeem, to heal our greatest afflictions. Last, again, two weeks ago, I keep saying last week, but not two weeks ago, I want to talk about some of the ways in which he does that. And, I, and last week, or two weeks ago, we, we did talk about the importance of these two things. Professional counsel, okay, mental illness experts, we believe they should be Christian-based, as well as, as, well as medical supervision, if, if uh, medicine is involved in sort of that managing and, 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 and process of mental illness. But today I want to focus on, specifically, focused prayer and trusting God's Word, because that's part of how he helps us manage, part of how he helps redeem, part of how he helps heal our greatest afflictions. I'm going to read this passage. Uh, this is a great just kind of root passage for us to kind of center where we're going to be centering on today. It's an encounter that Jesus had in terms of healing someone in a very unique way. This is in Mark. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, <laughs> I love this, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, <laughs> so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Just imagine this. And then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus, right, right down in front of him. And seeing their faith, the men who carried him, seeing the faith of those who came, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. My child, your sins are forgiven. Keep going. Some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Now, we read the text and we see Jesus say, your sins are forgiven, and we immediately go, whoa, 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 Jesus, that's not why they dropped him through the roof. You know, that's not the reason they dropped him through the roof. These, the Pharisees, had a whole different issue. Hey, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. What does he mean, your sins are forgiven? Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them this question, hey, why do you question this in your hearts? I want you to see this, this, this question, he says. Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Jesus poses this to them and to the crowd. Hey, what's easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? And I, he basically says, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. This is what Jesus was claiming. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. So the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the, through, through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. This, to me, is one of the greatest stories in terms of Jesus' interaction. And I think that we view this story differently than the people in its time. Again, 
the people at its time were struggling with, how could Jesus say he forgives sins? We have a whole system for that. We have a whole law for that. We have a whole process for that. How could Jesus, that's blasphemy. How could he say that he forgives sins? And Jesus is like, wait, what do you think is easier? Yeah, what do you think is easier, forgiving sins or, or healing this man? And that is an incredible question that I think we should wrestle with today, okay? What do you think is easier? I think from our American culture, I think from the way in which we view things, especially in the context of mental illness, I think that most of us would look around and say, hmm, I think forgiving sins is far easier than curing my depression. I think forgiving sins is easier than settling my anxiety. Because to us, every one of us who struggles with and have friends and family members who struggle with mental illness, we assume that that is the bigger problem. We assume that to some degree, because God hasn't healed them yet, that God cannot heal them. We assume that because nothing's happened yet, that he's not going to, he is powerless to, or he doesn't know how to. And I'm here to tell you, <laughs> there's a reason Jesus made this point so clear. It's that the forgiveness of sin is the greater healing. Forgiveness of sin is the greater healing. That when it comes to healing us, healing our bodies, healing our souls, that the fact that God has made a way to, get, to grant grace through the gift of his son dying on the cross on your behalf and on my behalf, he's made a way to give forgiveness to sins, the thing that separates us from God. He's created this way. It was the harder thing. It was the greater healing. But I believe that we struggle, we struggle to believe that it's true that he manages to make a way to help us manage, heal, and redeem our greatest affliction because we've lost an understanding that God's forgiveness of sin is the greater healing in our lives. That that is what's, the spiritual healing is what's necessary. As a matter of fact, I say it this way, that everything starts with spiritual healing. I don't want to be coarse or mean, but in terms of your friends, in terms of your loved ones, in terms of those who do not know God, I don't know if God's as concerned with fixing their marriage, with solving their, their, their anxiety, with fixing some, something that you feel like is a felt need that's so huge, that's so big. God's far more concerned about their soul. God's far more concerned about, about using supernatural ways to help them understand that he is there to forgive their sins. He is there to redeem them, to restore them, to save them. But even when it comes to illness, even when it comes to mental illness, God starts with spiritual healing. And Jesus made the example, hey, I, I forgave his sins. That's the greater of the thing. But he also still said, yeah, pick up your mat. <laughs> pick up your mat and walk. Go home. See, God knows something that we don't know and that we don't pay attention to often is that everything starts on the spiritual plane. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 6. He says, a final word to us to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. We're going to put on all of God's armor so that we will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. The strategy. He says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, enemies. 
but against evil rulers and authorities and against the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Like this is, this is Paul helping the church understand and remember that we, that we have a battle going on. There is things happening in a world you do not see, in a realm that you don't pay attention to. And it's a spiritual battle, which is why spiritual healing is the greater healing. I want us to walk through two or three just simple points to kind of bring around this idea of spiritual healing. Number one, I, ne- I want us to never underestimate the spiritual roots of illness. Never underestimate the spiritual roots of illness. And I'm, spe- I'm specifically speaking about mental illness today. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a line we walk. And I don't want anyone to fall on either side of the line, which tends to be the thing that most people do, okay? Because, number one, not all sickness, not all illness has spiritual roots, okay? Not, not all of them do. But it would be wrong to underestimate the spiritual roots of something if it does exist, okay? So, so the reality is, is that there's a line we walk in which we don't want to be those people, and I understand. We don't want to be those people necessarily that every single illness has a demon, okay? The demon of, you know, uh, of leprosy, the demon of mental illness, the depression, the demon of anxiety, the demon, like we don't want to be, there's something about that that most people are just like, ah, oh, no, that just makes me feel weird, we don't want to be those people. So we will overcorrect and we will go to the other side, which is all science and all, all things that we can prove and all things that even if we're uncertain, we'll try to find ways to control it. And the reality is, is that we, listen, we never need to underestimate the spiritual roots of illness. We should always pray. We should always pray. That's part of this focused prayer. We should always pray with the, with, the, with the understanding that what we may be experiencing, what we may be dealing with, does have spiritual roots, does need spiritual healing. It could be just a spiritual attack in the moment. It could be spiritual oppression that has been on you, you know, for a long time in your life. There's a great number of things that, spirit, that in the spiritual realm and the unseen things that we need to be praying about and praying for in order to experience not just spiritual healing but starts there but actually shows up in physical healing. Never underestimate that. Of course, again, we don't want to fall on the other side where we assume that every sin, every single sickness and hardship and everything else is, is caused by sin. Matter of fact, this is a great story where Jesus and his disciples were walking it says they were walking along, they saw a man who'd been blind from birth. Okay, he'd been blind since he was born. And the rabbi, the disciple said, why is this man born blind? Think, think illness. Why is this person depressed? Why is this person afflicted with this male illness? Why, why is that? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? That's a weird question today to ask. But you have to understand, they were raised in a culture in which sin was the cause of illness. Huge correlation. Jesus, of course, says it's not because of his sin or his parents' sins. This happens so that the power of God could be seen in him. Again, Jesus says this happened for redemption, for a way in which we are going to see redeemed. We're going to see God have his glory through this moment. So we don't want to fall on either side of those things, but here's, here's why we walk the middle. Because you don't know. 
the spiritual roots of your anxiety, you have to at least you have to at least be willing to pray through and work through the possibility that there are spiritual roots there. In addition to finding ways in which to receive counsel, possibly medical supervision, like like it's a both and. For me, because I believe spiritual healing is the greater healing, I would just tell people, assume it as the first thing. Assume right away that there's a spiritual element to this mental illness. And pray. That's focused prayer. And pray. And give yourself to God and allow him to do a work in your heart to work through what may or may not be happening. Don't fall for the rut that all these things have a demon attached. All these things are caused by sin. That's not true. But do not fall for the rut that it doesn't have anything spiritual to do with it. My bipolar, my, my anxiety, my depression, my ADHD doesn't have any spiritual roots at all. That would be just as wrong to assume. That's what focus prayer is for. And I, that's the next point, really. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Well, look at what, Jesus, what uh, Jesus' brother James said. Are any of you suffering hardship? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. That's part of it too. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of your church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. And the Lord will make you well. And if you, have, if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess those sins. Confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Never underestimate the power of prayer. I believe this is really important for us to learn. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Hold tight to God's word. There's an element of this that needs, that needs to come through to you, that, that there may be unconfessed sin in your life that needs to be expressed to God so you can experience spiritual healing that will open doors, that will unlock ways for you to experience physical and mental healing. That's a, that's a possibility for your life. Never underestimate the power of prayer. It should be the first thing we go to because spiritual healing, you know, again, God dealing with our sin, that is the greater healing for us. Even though your anxiety is very real, even though your depression is very real, even though all of the things we could list down in terms of mental illness is very, very real, I believe God will find a way, will provide a way for you to manage for, you to, for him to redeem it through you and for you to be healed. Now, when it comes to trusting God's word, I'll close with this. We need to never stop praying, hoping, and believing for healing. Again, spiritual first. But we need to never stop praying, hoping, and believing for healing to happen. And as I close with this, let me just help you understand. This is, one of the, this is one of the hardest things Christians will ever do. Will ever do. It finds its way in a lot of different ways. As a matter of fact, it finds, its, it finds a, a, even an application in our current day setting with the coronavirus. We have to walk the line 
holding tightly to the word of God, trusting in his word as absolute truth for our lives. And we need to continue to hope and believe for healing, even when healing doesn't come. See, it's the process of maturing us as believers, maturing us in our faith that gives us the strength and the faith and the power to be able to wake up every day when his mercies are new every morning and be able to pray and believe that God can help us manage, that God can help us redeem, that God can can heal our greatest affliction, knowing very well that you could end your day again with another unanswered prayer. That's tough. Again, it's I think that's one of the hardest things Christians have to deal with. Christians would rather just say, God must not want to heal me. God must not want to do this. God must be, you know, there must be something else. I'm just going to stop believing. I'm going to stop hoping. I'm going to stop praying and just resolve myself to this illness. And I really do believe that's, that's, that's part of what I feel like is the best thing that's happened when it comes to our conversation about mental illness and the worst thing. The best thing that's happened in terms of the conversation of mental illness is awareness. It's the best thing that's happened. The best thing that's happened is allowing to remove the stigma and let's talk about this and let's make it open and honest and, and real. The worst thing that's happened is that people resign themselves to just assuming that that's the way life is that God doesn't care, that God's not powerful enough, that for whatever reason he answered your prayer, but he's not going to answer my prayer. And the worst thing that's happened in terms of receiving the peace of getting these, these uh, diagnoses and, and helping us kind of manage our, our illnesses, the worst thing that's happened because we've removed the need for spiritual healing, the worst thing that's happened is that people have found themselves just resigned to this is now my life. And that may not necessarily be the way God and the plan that God has for you. So again, I'm not telling you that this is easy. Just hear me say it. This is not easy. The need for spiritual healing, starting with that, not ever underestimating spiritual roots of illness. Never stop praying and believing. Don't lose the power of prayer and the understanding why he's called us to do this. Trusting in the word of God that we are victorious, that we have, that he is on our side, that he is for us. Never, ever, ever, ever stop believing and praying and hoping for healing. Yes, it's the most difficult thing you might have to do every day to fully put your faith and trust in God's word and hold tightly to the promises. And yet realize that the very real possibility is that today, today, he's made a way for you to manage. Tomorrow, he might show how he's going to redeem this in you. And maybe today, tomorrow, or maybe one day in eternity, he will, he will heal you. You will experience it. That's why I believe that fullness is true. I love the, I'm not going to read it for you, but I'm just going to reference it. This is from um, Mark. You can go to Mark 5. There was a woman who had a physical issue. She'd been bleeding for 12 years, 12 years. 
And it says that she went to many doctors and she tried all sorts of things. She basically emptied the bank accounts. She had used every resource imaginable to try to get better. And she hadn't gotten better. She'd actually gotten worse. And Jesus came through and this is the story where she touches the hem of his garment. She says, if I, if I could just touch his hem, I'll be healed. And, he, and she was. And there's a whole encounter there. I can't, I can't go into it, but the reality is it's very much like that woman. I don't think it's wrong for you to spend your resources and your money and, and, to, and to get counseling and to have medically supervised part of this. I think that's how God does help us manage and redeem and heal some of our greatest afflictions. But I do not want you to ever lose the hope of spiritual healing and the power of spiritual healing at your heart level and what that might do for you and for your greatest affliction. Okay, the greater healing is spiritual healing. Never give up. Never stop praying and hoping and believing for the healing that God has planned for you. And again, it's hard, I know. I'm, I'm talking about this from an eternal perspective. But I, would, I don't want anybody, 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 anybody to resign themselves to suffer today to let it plague their mind and let the enemy win in terms, of, in, in terms of attacking their faith because they don't understand the power of prayer. They don't understand the need for spiritual healing in their life. And they don't, and they don't actually believe that God wants to provide a way for you to manage, to redeem it, and to one day at some point, hopefully, we're praying, that's what we believe, to bring healing to you. That's what I want to pray for as we close out our time today. God, I thank you so much for your word. God, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed with the, the tension of this message, the tension of this conversation, that it's just not clear. It's not cut and dry. It's not one or the other. And God, that's just how we approach you. We approach you as it's either this or that. And so often, you come to us and say, yeah, it's actually both, or it's neither, or you're completely off the page. God, for something like this, this very complex conversation, when we start talking about the need for spiritual healing, when we talk about the need for you to do a work in our hearts first, and not even realizing that that might unlock the healing potential, that might unlock something for us that redeems what we're dealing with and what redeems what we're going through and actually may even bring healing, supernatural healing to our lives. God, we all want to experience it. We all want to pray for it, but we don't want to live in the tension of every day waking up in the morning and praying for my family member and praying for myself to, to, to be relieved and to be healed, only to, to know that there's a real chance I'm going to go to bed with an unanswered prayer. God, it's so hard to hold on to hope and yet, through you, Jesus, we have absolute hope. We have concrete, unshakable, never-ending hope in you. My prayer today is for anyone listening, anybody engaging online now or later, that you would not, just don't let the enemy have a foothold in their heart about all the things I didn't talk about today because I didn't have time. But just in this moment to consider that the greater healing is spiritual in their life. And that's where you want to start. That's where you want to, that's where you want to put down those roots in us. 
that could possibly unlock so many more opportunities to manage, redeem, and heal through us. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.